Church, let me invite you to take your copy of the Word of God and open to Matthew 5, verse 5. That's Matthew double nickel. Matthew cinco cinco. Matthew 55. Matthew 5, give me a what? High what? There you go. Matthew 5, 5. Maybe you can find that. Matthew 5, verse 5. Have you ever noticed how we are so quick uh, to one-up one another? to outdo one another, uh, to show up one another. You ever notice that? Well, Matthew 5.5 5 is the antidote to one-upping one another. And before we dive into it, I, wanna, I want you to help me think about how this plays out. Okay, like for example, in the New Testament, we are commanded over 59 times to be one another people. Right, now, I'm not going to go through all 59, but... We're called to accept one another, not reject one another, right? We're called to be kind to one another, not curse one another. To be devoted to one another, not be defiant toward one another. To honor one another, not humiliate one another. Uh, to agree in the Lord with one another. Not to just agree with one another, because I don't think that's possible. But, but to agree with one another in the Lord. Uh, to, we're called to love one another, not, not really even like each other, but to love one another. Uh, we are called to pray for one another, not pray on one another. Uh, we are called to befriend one another, not unfriend one another. To forgive one another, not forget about one another. And we can go on and on. But what you won't find in these one another passages is to one up one another. Right, to outdo one another, to show up one another. I can remember in my, one of my first, my first semester at seminary in New Orleans, 2004. Back then they actually had like a campus you would go to and like a real classroom you go into. Like real people were in there right, with a professor breathing in there. Kind of before online really took off. And I can remember one of my first classes was church evangelism with Dr. McCraney, and Dr. McCraney introduced himself at the beginning of the very first class. It was, a, it was a class full of people. This was before Katrina, full of, I mean, there was 35, 40 students in the room, not a seat empty in the room, and our professor introduced himself. My name is Dr. McCraney, and about 30 seconds told us a little bit about himself. He used to play college baseball at Mississippi State University, and how he was a former pastor, now he's a professor, and then he wanted every student in the room, each one of us, to stand up, okay, give your name, and just tell something about yourself. And so it was going fine, you know, 30 seconds each person. And then it, it came to this particular guy. When he stood up, everybody took notice. He was head and shoulders above everybody. Stood at six foot, six inches tall. Looked like he was six foot forever huge monster of a man 250 plus muscles everywhere stood up my name is gave his name and he said I am a former professional UFC fighter and everybody in the class just kind of nodded like yeah that makes sense I mean you are a beast of course that's what you used to do and he sat down and then the guy next to him stood up. And when the guy next to him stood up, everybody was still waiting 
for the guy next to him to stand up. Because he stands at about five foot nothing. Okay? And it, it was so... I mean, you couldn't have found... You, there's no way you could have hunted and found two people that were such different in size on that entire campus. This guy was a monster sitting next to this smaller guy, five foot nothing, a hundred pounds soaking wet. It's like you took the monster and took a person out of him and what was left was this guy. Five foot nothing, hundred pounds soaking wet. And remember, we didn't know anybody. It's our first day of class, first semester. So we don't know each other yet. We're sizing each other up. Right, We're trying to, and that's what you do in, in a new place. You're sizing everybody up. And so I felt bad for this guy that had to go after the monster of a man because what's he going to say? I mean, what, what can he possibly say? I didn't know it at the time. I know it now because they're both dear friends of mine. That the five-foot-nothing guy, he is a clown. He is crazy. And nobody knew that about him. So he stands up and he says, my name is, and then he said, I too am a former professional <laughs> UFC fighter. And the response was much like that. Some people laughing. Some people in the class, their jaw hit their desk. Like, are we about to have an octagon fight right here? Like, is this guy making fun of this guy? Right? I mean, it was crazy. We'll go to great lengths. Great lengths. Even if it means putting our body in harm's way, we'll go to great lengths to one-up one another. That's just our natural bent to show up, to outdo one another. Well, Matthew 5.5 5 is the antidote to that, the antidote to one-upping one another. So look at Matthew 5, verse 5. The message, you know, if you put a subject on it, I guess we call it, you can't spell meek without me, M-E. So this applies to you and to me. It applies to all of us. And my prayer is that we'll apply it to that the Holy Spirit will help us today. So look at verse 5 in Matthew 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. God, would you help us today? This word meek is a, uh, it, it, it's a word that we just don't use that much in our vocabulary. It's a hard word to really understand and to grasp. So could Father... Could you help us today with an understanding from Scripture about the spirit of the word meekness? Could, could, could you help us, uh, Lord, uh, apply this word and its meaning to where we are in 2020? Could you help us, Lord? Uh, we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. If you look on the back of your worship guide at the very top, there's a takeaway. And today's takeaway is a little different. It's more of a plea. It's more of a prayer. And here's my prayer for all of us today. May God make us meek. That's just may God make us meek. Now, meekness is a fruit of the Spirit. It's gentleness. That's generally what it is. And so it comes from above. It doesn't come. We can't muster it up within ourselves. It is supernatural. It is from above. It is of the Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit. So my prayer is that may God make us meek. So today, what are we going to do? We're going to look at this word meekness. Now it's, again, it's a difficult word. I get it. I mean, who wants to be known as meek? I mean, listen to some of the synonyms and then you tell me if this is what you want to be known by. Listen to this. Lowly. Anybody want to stand up for, sign up for that? Insignificant. 
powerless. How about this one? Spineless. Ineffective creature. There you go. How would you like to put that on your profile? I'm an ineffective creature. Uh, broken. I mean, th- these are synonyms for, for, for meek. Uh, maybe these idioms will help kind of give you a, a, another way to think about it. Uh, to eat dirt, to lick the dust, to cringe like a dog, to take it on the chin. Here's some other descriptions of meekness that might help us. Aristotle, for example, he believed meekness to be the mean in between too much anger and too little anger. In fact, Aristotle would say this, that that blessed is the man who is always angry at the right time and never angry at the wrong time. One has said that meekness is the man who has every instinct, every impulse, every passion under God's control. Another one said, blessed is the man, the meek man is the one who has the humility to know his own ignorance, his own weakness, and his own need. A a meek person has yielded his or her rights to God. You've heard it described as power under control, perhaps. The meek man does not fight for his own rights, does not insist upon his or her vindication, does not always have to correct others, does not repay in kind, does not return insult for insult, does not use force and intimidation to get his or her way. Uh, Meekness is, if you think of it in a word picture, maybe a gentle breeze would describe meekness or a, a, a tamed, wild animal. Here's one that really helped me this week as I've been trying to figure out what meekness is. This has really helped me. Meekness means taking second place. Somebody say second place. Taking second place instead of first place whenever you can. Leveraging the power that you do have to serve others and not to exalt self. Well, man, that's tough in this selfie world, isn't it? So what are we going to do? We're going to look at three pictures of meekness today in three different passages of Scripture uh, today. Now, anybody remember what a Polaroid is? Anybody? Yeah, those were like cameras that would like take pictures of stuff, like before selfies, right? So we're going to look at, since meekness has nothing to do with selfishness, we're going to look at three Polaroids today from the Scripture, some vintage pictures of meekness. Number one is, the meek happily trust in the Lord. Now, in Matthew 5, 5, Jesus is quoting from the Old Testament. When he says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, he is quoting a Psalm of David, Psalm 37, verse 11. So, take your Bibles, go left. We're going to journey over to Psalm 37. Verse 11 is the specific verse Jesus is quoting, and Psalm 37, 11 says, but the meek shall inherit the land. But in order to get a context of what Jesus is referring to and what does it mean to be meek, I want to set up the the context of Psalm 37. So to do that, we're going to read verse 1 through 11 in Psalm 37. 1 through 11 in Psalm 37 to understand what it means that blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the land. And what are the circumstances surrounding King David saying that in Psalm 37 and Jesus again saying it in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5.5. So Psalm 37, if you're there, say I'm there. All right, look at verse 1. Here we go. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. 
trust, somebody say trust, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend unfaith and befriend faithfulness. Look at this. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way. Over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoer shall be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Fret not yourself. In the face of real threats and frets, King David trusted in the Lord. He happily, delightfully, joyfully put his trust in the Lord. Committed to his way. Delighted in him. Waited upon him. Right? He was still before the Lord. He trusted in the Lord. In the midst of real life threats. And by the way, hey, there was plenty here to fret over. Right? Let's not pretend like uh, uh, David is being, he, he's being, he's exaggerating this. In some, let, let's don't think that. There is plenty here for him to fret. Look at verse 12 in Psalm 37. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him, right? The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows. So you have the wicked looking to destroy the righteous on the one hand. You also have all types of turmoil happening here, all kinds happening in Psalm 37. And in the midst of all this trouble and chaos and criticism and conflict, King David is what? Calm. He is joyful. He's delighting in the Lord. He is trusting in the Lord. Now, I wonder what you're fretting over today as you come here on this Sunday morning to worship. What are you fretting over? Fretting over maybe a relationship that has gone south. Maybe you're fretting over a situation you did not see coming. Maybe you're fretting over a betrayal of a friend or different turmoil and trials that you're in the midst of even right now maybe some bad news you received this week maybe a difficult situation that you don't see any way out of there's much to fret over I mean does anybody have any shortage of of anything to fret about I think we all have plenty to fret over right like like today has enough trouble of its own don't worry about tomorrow there's plenty for today right And yet in the midst of all of that, we can be like David and we can be calm. As we trust in the Lord, we can be at peace and be still and wait patiently and delight and be joyful in the Lord. Now, when we do that, 
When the Holy Spirit empowers you, even in the midst of all types of turmoil, to be calm and at peace and experience all the riches you have in Christ, when that happens and you're in the midst of chaos and people look into your life and look at you and say, how in the world are they able to be so calm? How in the world are they able to be at peace in the midst of such storm? How in the world are they able to trust in the Lord in the midst of such turmoil? And they scratch their head and they don't understand it because they don't belong to the Lord. It reminded me of a video. I'm going to show you a video here in just a second. I need to set it up and then we'll show it to you. It's a video that I've watched many times and I can't quit watching it. It's quite hilarious in my opinion. And what it pictures is, what I want you to think about is when somebody looks into your life and sees all the chaos and see you just calm as a cucumber at peace in the Lord, trusting in Him, this is very well what they might see, is what we see as we watch this video. So check this out. Everybody, it's Paul. You know, a lot of people ask me, uh, after a long day of voiceover or writing or doing all those creative things that I do, um, how do I relax? Well, like many other Americans, uh, I come home and I, I pet my dog. You see, petting the dog is one of the most relaxing things you can possibly do. It releases a hormone called oxytocin, which reduces stress. Also, it lowers your heart rate and it lowers your blood pressure. Plus, people who pet their dogs are five times more likely to live longer than people who just have cats. I can't quit watching that. Like, I've seen it three times today, and I watched it, like, in between messages, like, driving up and down. I can't stop watching it. Isn't that hilarious? How did he not take that chihuahua and throw it across the room? How was he able to be calm? See, that's what people are thinking when they look at you, and you're, it's just chaos all around your life as a believer, and yet you're just at peace, and you're calm, trusting in the Lord and waiting patiently upon him. I don't think any of us in the room that are followers of Christ would would struggle with this idea that yes, I can happily trust in the Lord even in times of turmoil because you've been there and you've done that. So that's what we do. We trust in the Lord in the midst of these turmoil and struggles. So the question is, if you're here today, if you're watching via live stream or Facebook live or, or maybe even television, what is it? In what or in whom are you trusting? Like, are you trusting in your education, your career, your bank account, uh, your, 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 your platform? Are you trusting in your property that you may have or maybe in the government or maybe a politician? Are you trusting in religion? Are you trusting in being a Christian? Vance Havner said it like this. I love how Vance Havner said it. He said, the word Christian, if you take the word Christian, you have the word Christ and then you have the letters I-A-N. The letters I-A-N stand for I am nothing. And when you think about being a Christian and I am nothing and your focus is on Christ, then you can trust in not being a Christian, but we trust in being in Christ. And so that's what we trust in. We trust in the Lord. We trust in Him. Not what we like about Him. Not our faith in Him. You better not be trusting in your faith in Christ. You better be trusting in Christ. Not what you... Not your faith in him, but in him. So what are you trusting? Are you trusting in 
human achievement or technology or innovation. I love how James Irwin put it. He was a part of Apollo 15. He said the entire space achievement is put in proper perspective when one realizes that God walking on the earth is more important than man walking on the moon. I like that. What are you trusting in? Whom are you trusting in? Be like uh, the people in Moses' day who they had snakes coming into the camp. They were biting them. These serpents, they were dying. They were grumbling against the Lord. And when the snakes and serpents came in, they begged Moses to ask God to take away these serpents. And God said, nope, I'm not going to take them away. I will give a remedy. And the remedy is, Moses, I want you to take a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, lift it up. When one is bitten by a serpent and they look to the pole, they will live. And so it happened. And they were bitten, and they looked to the pole, and they lived. And so just like in Moses' day, we're to look to the pole, to the one, to our meek king who humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And if we look to him, we shall live. Don't look to your rebellion. Look to his righteousness. Not to your failure, to his fidelity. Not to your burden, but to his beauty. Look to his resurrection, which, by the way, has secured your own. Look to him. Trust in him. Wait patiently for him. Another great example of meekness I want to point to you before we go to the next point. Numbers chapter 12. So you're in Psalm 37. Go left again. All the way over to Numbers chapter 12. This is a great illustration of meekness in Numbers chapter 12. 12. Moses is being criticized. His, his leadership is being questioned by Miriam and Aaron. And this is a very dramatic scene we, see, we have here in Numbers 12, verse 1, uh, through, well, really the whole chapter. But we're going to be in the first several verses of Numbers chapter 12. And so here is one whom the Bible calls meek. Moses was called meek. So let me show you what I'm talking about here. Numbers chapter 12, verse 1. You there, Sam, there? All right, look at it. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. Apparently, they weren't happy about him marrying a Cushite woman. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now, the man Moses was very what? He was very meek. Moses was very meek more than all people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forward. And he said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles and he beholds the form of the Lord why then look at this question why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses and the anger of the Lord was kindled against them and they departed and he departed and when the cloud removed from over the tent behold Miriam was leprous like snow now that's a pretty dramatic scene is it not God calling you out. Hey, you come out here. And then he comes down. And then he speaks to you. And then when he leaves, you're leprous. I mean, come on. That's dramatic. 
a dramatic scene. And, and, and one thing we find very interesting about this scene is what is Moses doing? Moses is the one who's under attack. Moses is the one who's being criticized. Moses is the one whose leadership's being questioned. What is Moses doing? Is Moses defending himself? See, the same God who judged Moses, and, and we all think this. We say, man, God was so hard on Moses. I mean, he, he struck the rock rather than speaking to the rock, and he was, he was judged. He couldn't go into the promised land. The same God who judged Moses is the same God who defended Moses. Jesus is our only judge. He is our only defender. He's it. So Moses didn't defend Moses. Moses isn't, he, he, he isn't there trying to defend himself. Moses is not answering these critics. He's not entertaining accusations. He doesn't get angry. He doesn't seek revenge. He doesn't have a pity party and say, woe is me and I'm being treated unfairly. Doesn't do that. He doesn't take offense as leadership being challenged in any way. He's not plotting to do something about it. He's just not. I read the other day about a bus driver who, <laughs> who's a small guy, five foot nothing kind of guy, real slim, real thin. And he made one of his first stops, and this big old six foot eight monster of a man gets on this bus, and he says, Big John doesn't pay. And he went and sat down. Well, the little guy wasn't going to say anything to him, but it frustrated him very much. So the next day it happened again, happened again, happened again, happened again, happened again. For several weeks it just kept happening. Well, the little guy, he finally got tired of it. He said, I'm going to do something about this. So he signed up for bodybuilding classes, karate and judo. Signed up for a self-esteem class. And over the summer he got stronger. He got more confident. So he couldn't wait for Big John to get on that bus and say it the next day. Next day, Big John got on the bus and Big John doesn't pay. That little guy got his courage built up and says, and why not? And Big John says, because Big John has a bus pass. <laughs> That's why he doesn't pay. See, did Mo when, when Moses' leadership was questioned, when he felt threatened, did he sign up for a karate class? Did he go take judo? Did he take a self-esteem class? Or did he trust in the Lord? He is trusting in the Lord. And then when he does say something, when Moses finally does speak, I want you to look at what he says. Verse 13 in Numbers 12. When Moses finally says something, this is what he says. Oh God, please heal her, please. Talking about Miriam and the leprous like snow. That Moses is crying out and pleading for God to heal Miriam from her, the consequence of her sin. That is, because of her sin, she was leprous like snow. Does that sound familiar? There's one more person in the Bible that we are told is meek. Only one. There's only two. Moses that we're told is meek, and then Jesus. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am meek 
I am gentle, lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So here's the creator of the universe, our meek king, humbling himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And, and he did not defend himself. He did not speak up for himself. He did not call angels to come to his side to defend him. He, he, he opened not his mouth. And when he finally did open his mouth, here's what the Lord said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Don't you imagine that, that you could put your trust in someone like that? Yeah, trust in the Lord. The meek happily trust in the Lord. He is the one who avenges. He, the Lord, is the one who will bring ultimate justice. Not you, not me, but the Lord. See, here, here's what I want you to know. David Platt said it this way. I love the way he said this. You don't have to be strong when Jesus is your strength. Hey, you don't have to flex when Jesus is your flex. You don't have to. Trust in him. Number two, the meek, that, that they happily trust in the Lord. But secondly, not only do we trust in the Lord, but the, the meek also humbly listen to other people, right? Like, like we listen. Like the meek humbly listen. We don't, only, we don't only happily trust in the Lord, but we humbly listen to others. So I want you to take your Bibles. You're in uh, Numbers, perhaps. I want you to go right, way right, to James chapter 1. All the way to James. James chapter 1. Now, in James chapter 1, you're familiar with James 1 verse 2, I'm sure. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, right? I mean, that's a head scratcher, isn't it? That, that, really, that really is strange to our ears. We're to rejoice when we face trials of many kinds. And then, and then James talks about the trials and the process of trials and how it builds character and perseverance and those kind of things. And then we come to verse 19 in James chapter 1. And that's where I want you to look. James chapter 1 verse 19. After describing all these trials that we may face, much like we saw in Psalm 37, here's what James says. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person, not some of us, not the ones that are good at it. Not, not, not the ones that can handle it. Let every person, let all of us, let us what? Look at this. Let us be quick to hear, uh, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Look at verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with what, church? There's that word again. And that's a strange word, isn't it? With meekness, uh, the implanted word. So, so uh, receive uh, with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. So we are to trust in the Lord. We are to listen to God's word and receive that implanted word. And we're to listen. We're to, we're to be hearers of the word. But we're also to be doers of the word and listen to other people. Humbly listen. To others, to be quick to listen and to be slow to speak, to be slow to anger. For this anger, anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. 
So there's two types of people here. Uh, in, in the book of James, if you study it, he, he does a comparison of two quite often. The wisdom from above and the wisdom from the earth. And here, the two people, one is quick to listen, one is slow to listen. One is quick to speak, one is slow to speak. One is quick to anger, slow to anger. Have you ever been, have you ever been quick to speak? You ever been slow to listen? You ever been quick to tweet or quick to post? I'm, I'm, this is what this is referring to, quick to push send on the email, anybody? If, if you have, listen, I've got a list of them here in my email box I can show you. You have. Yeah, you have. You've been quick to send them. I've got some. I can read some of them. You know, I was just kidding. You ever been there? Boy, I have. Man, I have. And then James goes on to talk about the tongue and taming the tongue and how, what a, what a fight that is to tame the tongue. And then, and then he comes to chapter 3. I want you to look at verse 13 in chapter 3. Here's another. We see this word again in verse 13. Look at it. Uh, James chapter 3, 13. Who is wise and, and understanding among you? By, by his conduct, let him show his works. Look at this. In, in, in the meekness of wisdom. In the meekness of wisdom. Now, what is this wisdom from above? Verse 17 talks about it. If you want to jump down there, it says this wisdom is, first of all, it's from above. It, it's, we can't muster it up. It's, it's from above. It's, it's not of man. It's of God. Okay? And it is pure. It is peaceable. It is gentle. It is open to reason. It is full of mercy, good fruits, impartial and sincere. This is weakness of wisdom from above. So how can we listen humbly to others? Here's a great place to start if we're going to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger. How are we going to do this? Well, the first place to start is to at least listen. I know that's difficult. Because in the world we live with all the conflict and all the different views and different backgrounds and different beliefs and, and, and because of all just the differences and the turmoil that we're living amidst, how, how do we listen humbly? I, I want to uh, use an illustration this morning and I've asked Paul Hillier to help me out. So will y'all welcome Paul. Uh, up here on the platform, give Paul a hand. Say, hey, Paul, or something. Throw something at him. Paul, you say hello. Man. Hello, church. All right, so Paul, if, if you're not aware, is um, one of our college pastors here on staff with us, and he and Jason lead our crew ministry. And so we, we've got a presence of college students on, on campuses, and their heart is to reach uh, the campus for Christ. So... Uh, Y'all had an event recently. Can you just tell us a little bit about that event? Sure. Um, you may have seen uh, in, on television, there's this movie that's out. It's called Just Mercy. Uh, this movie is about a man who was falsely accused of murder and sentenced on death row, an African-American man. Uh, it is a hard movie uh, to watch because of some of the themes in it. Um, but we decided that we wanted to try to 
have a listening ear. And so we began to talk with the Multicultural Center at UTC and just said, hey, we would like to be a blessing and, and also have a listening ear. And so we set up, basically bought an entire theater uh, worth of tickets. And then we had the Multicultural Center just basically invite the African-American community to join the crew community to go watch this movie together um, just so we can um, understand one another better uh, and then to have a dialogue uh, about it afterwards. And so this last week we did that on, um, I guess it was Wednesday night, and had about 90 folks uh, come Amen. watch this movie. Amen. And, and why was it so important to, to do this? Because we, you know, just thinking about how many of us may not, um, just in our daily lives, we may not uh, either think about it or maybe we don't think we have time or we're not intentional about engaging somebody that may be different from us. So why was it so important? Well, I think if we're not intentional, then we don't get to have the conversation. Um, Now, I'm a 46-year-old middle-aged white guy. Why is a college student that's African-American, why is he going to engage in conversation with me? And so um, I wouldn't expect him to. And and it might even be intimidating for him to have that. And so what we wanted to do is just have a posture of kind of learning, uh, a posture of empathy, uh, not to come and give any opinion, but rather just to listen. Um, You know, our plight is different. Um, we have not experienced the racism that many in our culture have. And in this day where things are so polarized, um, it's hard to have that conversation because of the polarization. So anything we could do to begin to enter in and have deeper relationships with students, that's what we were trying yeah. to do. Amen. And what, what has been some of the results? Because I, I ran into Cannon yesterday, and he even shared with me a result. So what are some of the Results. Yeah, for you guys that don't know, Candon is one of the African-American guys in my Bible study. But um, like I said, we had about 90 students who came. Um, the, the movie is hard. Um, there are themes in there that will break your heart. Uh, it's based on a true story. It's not a fictional story. Um, and so as we watched this movie, uh, we were really just trying to engage and to think about uh, what is being communicated, what's being experienced. And then after the movie, we had a 30-minute discussion together. We broke into groups of five and six and just talked through some of the things that were there. Um, uh, Those were hard conversations, but I felt like the students that were there were very honest. And I think our hope is is that if we've cultivated these relationships, they can continue and these conversations Mm -hmm. can continue. Uh, I got to hang out with three guys specifically, Neba, Austin, and Xavier. And uh, mm-hmm. we're planning to, I'm hoping to try to get lunch with those guys this week and kind of continue that dialogue. Because in the movie, the idea of just mercy, it's like, yes, that's connected to what's being asked for in the movie, but that is the theme of the gospel as well. And so how do we take those things in Miriam to have a deeper right. conversation for the future? Yeah. Yeah, and I've, I've heard there's more conversations that are happening, people getting together with coffee and all that kind of thing. So I want to pray for the fruit of this. So would y'all pray with us? Father, thank you again for this gospel of mercy, just mercy. Lord, we all need it. Um, I like what, my bro- what Paul said. He said, hey, it's, uh, one person's plight may not be ours, but we all have plight. We all have sin and we all have 
uh, disappointments. And, and we all need mercy. We all need mercy. And so, God, we just thank you that this event occurred. I thank you for the relationships that were uh, built. I pray they'll be cultivated. Uh, I know some of our students in the room here today, uh, Lord, have were there and were able to, to build some relationships. I pray for their conversation to continue. pray for these three uh, that Paul's going to try to have lunch with. And well, we just pray that as, as, as our students and, and as our college ministry listens, that they'll be able to share the gospel with them. Uh, Lord, we ask for fruit, for people to be saved, and uh, for relationships to be built for the glory of God and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Paul. Y'all give Paul a hand, huh? Yes, just mercy. So, here's my challenge when we think about the meek humbly listen to others. I would challenge you to begin to ask God. Just begin to ask God. Say, God, would you help me engage somebody that is different from me? Because listen, not only are we facing difficult times, but there are people that you work around or live around, play around, whatever, go to school around that are different from you. And I, I just, I would ask you to just ask God to help you engage a person that is different. I mean, if that's, that's meekness, man. I mean, if we're always talking and engaging people that are like us or believe like us, how about let's step out and engage someone who's different. Number three. The meek hopefully endure to the end. Now, this point is not wishfully. It is with hope they endure to the end. And this is the beauty of Matthew 5, 5, the second part of this verse. Blessed are the meek. Maybe you have a little better understanding of meekness and what it means to be meek according to Psalms and James and even Matthew 5, 5 here in Numbers even. But here we see the, the back end of this verse. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the what, church? They shall inherit the earth. Now, what does that mean? How, what, what does that mean for us today? How can we think about inheriting the land and inheriting the earth? I think we need to think about it in two ways. One is an already and one is a not yet. Right? Like we've already been sealed. If you're a follower of Christ, you've been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Right? Who, who ensures, secures your inheritance. Like you've been marked with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit who is a guarantee of your inheritance you've already have it on some level you have all the riches in Christ and in and the glory that lives within you you already have this inheritance there's an already aspect to it uh, think about it like this parents uh, think about your child okay for just a moment let's say your child or grandchild takes a lunch to school has a sandwich in there right some Oreo cookies in there perhaps and they go to school, and they sit next to a student that doesn't have a lunch. They just didn't have one for the day. So your child says, you know what, I'm going to share my lunch. Gives them half of their sandwich. They have five Oreos, and, and your child gives three of them away and only keeps two. That's a miracle, isn't it? To give three away and keep two. What, would you be proud of your child? Or would that frustrate you? You'd be proud of them, right? Like, if you found out, yeah, they gave away three and kept two and they got home, you'd want to give them 30 Oreo cookies, right? I don't recommend that. Kids don't try that. It's not going to work. The cat's out of the bag already, so that's not going to work. But you'd be proud of them. This is what God does in and through our lives, man. I mean, he, when we are intentional, he is going to bless that. And we can have 
a part of this inheritance is already an aspect of it is the kingdom of God is now. It, it came when the king came. When Christ came, his kingdom came. So there's an aspect of it already. Sure, there's still sin. It's still tainted. Absolutely, because there's still sin and brokenness. And this is not our home. Yet we have hope that we have a future home. Amen. We have hope, right? So it's already, but it's also not yet. Like one day we're going to be living our lives. We're going to wake up and as I do during the week at 4.30 in the morning and go work out with some men at F3 at 5.30 a.m. Am I crazy? In the rain, sleet, or snow? Yes, I believe it. I'm crazy. Right? We're going to wake up. We're going to start our day as we normally do, our regular day. We're going to be going through the day. We're going to arrive at work after breakfast and, and have our meetings before lunch and go to lunch. And at some point in this day, a trumpet is going to sound. And it's not going to be a trumpet from the orchestra at Red Bank Baptist Church. It's going to be a trumpet in the sky that sounds from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth. And our king, our mighty king, who was raised from the dead, is going to gather every believer in every nation, tribe, language, and people. And we're going to gather around the throne of God, and we're going to worship the king of kings together in this place called glory. And we're going to share with him, and we're going to reign with him. We are co-heirs with him. Do you know who you are in Christ? Yes. There's an already aspect, but there's also a not yet. And so with hope, we endure to the end. All the trials we read about. And, and, and notice how true the word of God is. Notice how you can trust the truth. That if, rather you, if you're in Psalms, if you're in Numbers, if you're in James, it doesn't matter. God has never lied to you. There is trouble and trials in every book of the Bible. Jesus said, you will face trouble, but you take heart. I have overcome the world. And you put your faith and trust in him. That's what the meek do. They trust in the Lord. They listen to others. They endure with hope to the end. There's no better picture of this than in Christ himself. After the supper that Jesus had with the twelve, the Bible says he rose from supper in John 13. He rose from supper... And the Bible says specifically, he laid aside his outer garment. Don't miss that. Nobody made him do that. He laid aside his outer garment. He took a towel, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. He, he, Jesus was not wiping his Lord's feet, right, or washing his Lord's feet because Jesus is Lord. Like there's no other Lord above the Lord. He is Lord. And so the Lord took himself out of first place, put himself in second place to wash his disciples' feet. And nobody made him do it. He laid it aside on his own. And do you know what God the Father did in response to that? You can read about it in Philippians 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. And here's what God did. Therefore, because of this, because he removed himself from first place and put himself in second place, God the Father 
highly exalted him to the place that is above every place. Gave him a name that is above every name. Not, his name is second to no name. His name is above every name. That the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Do you understand that? That one day every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Even the tongues that confessed Jesus is a lunatic. Even the tongues that confessed Jesus is a liar. One day the whole world is going to say Jesus is Lord. I don't want you to wait till it's too late. I want you to be able to willingly say, yes, in my heart, I know Jesus is Lord. I'm going to remove myself from the throne of my heart. I'm going to remove myself out of first place. I'm going to take second place. And I'm going to allow the Lord to rule in my heart and life. So I pray you'll do that today. I'll pray you'll come for the very first time.